And Lord, this new year, let us renew our hearts, our minds, our commitment, our intentions to bring glory to you this new year. Lord, to give you the glory and the honor and the praise that is due your name. And Lord, even though that was broken so deeply at the fall through your son, Jesus Christ, through your spirit living within us, we have the ability to praise you and give you glory. And we look towards that day when we will be able to do so perfectly in your presence through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please uh, be seated. Welcome everyone. Uh, For those of you who saw the new year in and still got up and came out this morning, congratulations. No, thank you. Uh, Today we begin a new series in the book of John. This is the first time I'm wearing a tie this year. I wore a tie twice, I think, all of last year, so who knows, a a new pattern. And also, uh, today is Barb and my sixth anniversary here uh, at uh, First Colony Bible Chapel. And so, we want to ask God's blessing on each one of you, whatever commitments that you have made for this year, whatever your life holds Some things will be so wonderful, Uh, some things will be less so, uh, but God will be with you through it all. As someone who has uh, traveled much of the world, I've I've witnessed great beauty, Uh, I've witnessed uh, great wealth, and I've also seen extreme uh, poverty firsthand. Uh, Mostly what I've seen is men and women wringing out a place in the world, many places, just stacks of cinder blocks, no mortar, uh, single rooms, little corrugated tin roofs, tiny homes, just trying to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, I watched a documentary. It was on uh, life in the dumps. And uh, no, not depression, which is a first world kind of problem in terms of thinking of that phrase. It's estimated that over 15 million people worldwide live and work in the garbage dump. One of the largest in uh, Manila experienced a trash slide. They stacked the garbage so high that in 2000, they've closed this one down by now, though. In 2000, uh, by some estimates, more than 1,000 people were killed when it came down. 15 million people making uh, their homes on dump sites. Shacks are made out of what people have thrown away Children scrounging for food from what has been thrown away. Generations born, grown in the garbage dump. Raised families, some, many, in fact, have gone nowhere else 
Uh, there's a relief organization, perhaps a little harshly but aptly named, uh, Children of the Dump, which is something that uh, is, is just uh, remarkable that this is such a prevalent issue that so many would be there. Or one of the dumps in Paraguay, perhaps you've heard of this, a man uh, by the name of Fabio Chavez, or Chavez, he's a social worker, he's a music teacher, he went out there to work with the children, and he was trying to figure out how in the world might I be able to influence and effect some kind of change for them. And so he took his skills as a music teacher, and he began to make instruments out of the garbage. And so you might have a guitar made out of jelly bean cans, or you might have a, a violin made out of an old battered aluminum salad bowl with a stick and some nylon strings. X-ray prints thrown away, that becomes the nice uh, skins for, for a drum set. Uh, bottle caps apparently are perfect for saxophone keys. Who knew? But not only that, through his work in the instruments and the musical training that he gave the children, he created a 20-piece orchestra. And this orchestra, they've got out of the uh, dump. They've played in uh, Brazil. They have uh, played in uh, Colombia and Panama and even in the United States. So this one person, incredibly has made a tremendous difference in these children's lives. But let me be clear. The average lifespan on the dump is 35. Physical and sexual assaults are commonplace. Starvation is a way of life. And even though what Fabio has done is an amazing thing. It does not address hardly any of the issues at all. And yet, even all the good that has been done cannot be compared. It's not as astonishing as the journey that the Son of God made from heaven to earth. And he brought music with him, too, the music of mercy, of grace, of compassion, salvation. And when he came here, we don't think of the babe in Bethlehem, in the manger, and in the stable as a sacrifice. <laughs> but for him, his journey here was a sacrifice from the beginning. It was a sacrifice that was based in love. For us, he journeyed from heaven to earth because he loved us, because he loved you to bring salvation. Turn with me to look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Just five short verses, but some of the most important scriptures in, uh, in all of the Bible. And I approach certainly this text with a certain amount of humility in that some of the greatest minds to ever uh, live have, have looked at this and have considered uh, this. And it's an honor just to be 
uh, in this, this text, some of the most amazing texts that you will read in all of Scripture, and certainly some of the most important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John begins this gospel. Now this first 18 verses is an introduction. We're only going to look at the first five verses today, but this the theme of the entire book is who is Jesus. And this 18-verse introduction contains a summary of John's most profound convictions about who the Lord is. And it focuses on the central fact that the Christian faith is not a philosophy or it's not based on a philosophy, it's not based on a set of principles or precepts or practices. Christianity is, in fact, based on a person. Without this person, uh, you know, since we've just gone through Christmas, it would be like taking Christ out of Christmas or taking shapes out of uh, geometry or uh, taking the uh, X out of algebra. I mean, Jesus is central to the Christian faith. All the other great religions, uh, they do. They revolve around ideas or notions, philosophies, uh, and processes, but not Christianity. Properly understood, Christianity is a relationship. It is a relationship with God that is a possible through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is answering in the prologue of his gospel. Who is Jesus? And there's a few things he wants us to know right off about Jesus. The first thing he wants us to know that is that Jesus was God. First, he was the Word of God, or I should even put that in the present, is but in the beginning, he was the word. Now, the word here is the Greek term um, logos, and it, in many ways, it means very much the same thing as our word word does. And when you look at a word, you have to understand what words are there for. I don't want to go into a, either a psychological or a philosophical thing about this, but here's the thing. Something happens in your mind, in terms of the way you think before the words come out. The words are symbols, they're representations, either visual or verbal, of something else that's in your mind. In other words, if you think that a baby doesn't think, then you don't understand what thinking is. Does that make sense? Words are about how we communicate with each other. Words are about how, as a baby, I would let you know, or means I would let you know that I was hungry or that I was in pain. In other words, I'm allowing my thoughts come from my mind 
in, and in as accurate a way as I can to give them to you in words so that you can know what my mind is. So the question is asked many times in Scripture, who has known the mind of the Lord? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. I mean, that's the implication. No one, nobody knows the mind of the Lord, except for this one thing. Until you express the mind of the Lord in the word, we do not know it. I have to use words this morning, and that's what John is talking about here. When Jesus was born among humanity, he was able to speak symbolically, verbally, visually, the mind of God to us. There are things about the mind of God that you know. If you are a believer, there are things that you share in your thought processes with the very God of the universe. And we're going to look at many of those things through this book. It's an amazing thing. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.7 calls this God's secret and hidden wisdom. It's an unveiling. God has revealed himself to us, as Hebrews said, through his Son. Furthermore, the word was from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Well, the beginning of what? We don't understand. In fact, if you ever you start looking at this dimensionality sort of thing, you know, you always have to put space-time, almost like a hyphen. When we talk about eternity past, that's an oxymoron, folks. Eternity is eternity. There is no past eternity. There is no future eternity. Eternity just is whatever it is. And we don't know what it is, even though one day we're going to be in it in its fullness. And we see it now only through the, this lens of time. So in the beginning, he was the word. This notion is the beginning of what? It just He was just. There is no beginning, and but there's no way for us to put it. There's no thought process. There's no way I can take words, and we'll look at this later on in the book of John. I could have spent time on it today. I will not, but the Trinity, and the notion is... At some point, actually very quickly, words fail. And I'm glad that they do. Do you know why? Because if I could understand God in his fullness on this side of glory, I just, that's not the God of the universe. There are hidden, there are things that are just simply beyond us. But the word always existed. In fact, if you look in the Bible, you'll find very clearly, very clearly that he even had names throughout history. The, the, the history that we know of, the angel of the Lord, uh, the son, and finally uh, he was called uh, Jesus. But Jesus was the son of God. Yeah, let's go to John eight fifty eight already. Before Abraham was, I am, Right. We lose words at this point when we talk about his eternality. We did not have any history before we came to this earth. 
Not one moment. We were not little souls running around up in heaven waiting to find a mommy and a daddy to birth us. We did not exist, but he did. He always existed. Hebrews, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. But more than that, John says that the word was with God. Now, that means that creates some of the things we're going to ultimately be talking about when we get to these notions of the Trinity, which is, oh, by the way, just simply words that we try to put together in such a, a, a form that it makes some kind of sense uh, to us. But what that means is if the word was with the father, then the word is distinct from the father. Makes sense. So now we're talking about two separate persons. And yet they were so close in their thoughts and intentions and purpose and essence to be one. In fact, Jesus in John 10.30, we'll look at that later. I and my Father are one. He didn't mean one and the same. Dip into theology just a little bit, which would imply modalism. That is, is that there is one God who, when he looks at this side of the audience, says, I'm Jesus. And he looks in the middle, he says, I'm the Holy Spirit. And he looks over here, he says, I'm the Father. That's not how God operates. There are three persons and one God, the triune God. Many argue, how could Jesus and the Father be God? How could the Son be uh, his own Father? Those are logical implications that we'll talk about over time. But when you think of persons... It's easy for us because we see bodies. But I assure you, based on the word of God, that there is something that makes you you that is not your body. Now, we will never be, we won't be disembodied for eternity. We're going to be embodied. But the thing is, is that whether we're in a state of where we are now or in our resurrection body, you will still be you. There is something that's you that is a person and not simply uh, what we're made of. And when we think of that, you can begin to understand a little bit about the separation between the spiritual and the biological uh, elements. I don't mean that in the Greek sense for some of you who may uh, know about that. Finally, John makes this, not finally for the sermon, (laughs) finally for this first point. (laughs) Don't you not like that? Somebody starts using finally and in conclusion, and then an hour later they're done. No. He says the word was God. No doubt about it. Now, many deny this uh, great truth, and some get very upset about this translation. Uh, they say, no, you cannot say that the, that the word was God. You must say that the word was a God. And when that happens, of course, you open up the whole realm of polytheism, that is, uh, multiple uh, gods, and that 
becomes a, a serious problem. So sadly, some of you may find this interesting. Others just hold on, just just work with me for a couple of minutes because I got to do a little grammar. Let me to introduce you to Mr. Granville Sharp. Now, Granville Sharp was an abolitionist, and he was a person who that is a person who is dedicated to ending uh, slavery. He was also a Greek scholar, and he lived during the 1700s. And he wrote extensively about who would do this. Anyway, I don't know. But he wrote extensively books about the Greek definite article. Some people make their lives like that. I, I, but I, I'm going to do my best to give you something that will make sense. So the Granville Sharp rule states that when two singular common nouns are used to describe a person, that two nouns are joined by an additive conjunction, you know, like and. The definite article precedes the first noun, but not the second. Let me, let me make this make sense for you. So even though this isn't uh, in the Bible as such, it, it, I, I hope it will make sense because it comes into play not directly in this text. That's more in uh, Titus and Peter. But when you add the word and Jesus together, that's, that's when this comes into play. Uh, in John 1.14 specifically, uh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Now, this principle holds true in uh, all languages. So consider the sentence. The disciples met with the Messiah and the word, comma, Jesus. So, 2,000 years of Christian history says we know that the Messiah and the Word are the same. But grammatically, they don't have to be. You could meet with the Messiah and the Word. They can be grammatically separate. So what the Granville Sharp rule says is this. The disciples met with the Messiah and Word, comma, Jesus. When you remove that second definite article, then it's clear that those two are one and the same person. Okay, let's get, get beyond that. Some of you may find that interesting. Others, you may be saying, when is he going to be uh, done with, with that? Here's the point. If somebody comes to you and says that you can translate this, you can translate it as, uh, and the word was a God, they cannot. And that's why I spent all this time on this, because there are people who will tell you that that is the case. That is not the case. And, oh, by the way, never has been. And then John, he goes on and he declares that Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the originator of all things. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Eight times in Genesis chapter uh, 1 reads, And God said, right? And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and let there be a, a firmament between the heavens and, 
and let the earth bring forth trees and vegetation and so forth and so on and understand that what John is saying about Genesis is that it was the word of God who spoke this into being what the Father had designed. Furthermore, John tells us that Jesus sustains it. Without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, he's essential to it. I I don't know anything about quantum physics other than the weird things that I read that reality doesn't exist and we're all just little kind of energy, something's bouncing off of the walls and so forth and so on. But if you ever wondered why everything is contained and held together, it's because Jesus himself is doing that. Think of your molecular structure. Think of of, uh, just what makes you, you, and every, I, I can't do this without thinking about time, every second or nanosecond or whatever, Jesus Christ is holding you together and is what uh, keeps you from flying apart. Hebrews again, back to one three says that he, Jesus, is upholding the universe by the word of his power. And when he says that Jesus is the originator, he talks about two tremendously essential things as we move through the text. First, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Uh, The contribution that Jesus makes is our very life. What is life? I mean, only you intuitively know when something is living. You know, the philosophers through the ages have looked up and they've looked at the universe and, and they have thought, I can comprehend it but it cannot comprehend me. The pew that you're sitting on has no notion that you are living, even though uh, some of the materials that it's made of was once living. And so when we talk about this kind of life, the Greek has a, a very good word. Now, when you look in your Bible, and oh, by the way, John, you're right. Just thought I'd let you know that. English is bound by word order. Uh, Greek is not. It's, it has prefixes, infixes, suffixes, all kinds of fixes going on, such that you know what word is related to what other word, no matter what the order is. And in that case, rest, and uh, Jesus giving that rest, comes before you. So in this case, when we look at life, All we read in the Bible is when you see life, you see life. But there are different words for life. The first one is obvious that we know is bios. We even know, I mean, I think even uh, Windows has bios, right? That's where we get biology from. So if you're a biologist, you have a a Greek word right there at your disposal. Uh, But there's another word that's translated as life, suke. And that is not biological life. That's emotional, intellectual, spiritual. There's something going on. Sometimes it could be translated as soul. But this notion of life 
is talking about, uh, it's where we get our word psychology from. You can see the progression there, dealing with the emotions, the will, the intellect. And anyone who has experienced soul trauma can tell you that even though their bios is functioning fine, they're not alive. Life, life, life. But then there's this word. Oh, yeah, there's another word for life. Happens to be the one that John is using here, and it's a very interesting word. In fact, I don't know how many of you have seen my license plate, but if you look at my license plate, it says Zoe. Do we have any Zoes in here? Any Zoes? Anybody know a Zoe? Okay, a few hands go up. You know, you know Zoe. What you may not know is that while Zoe is a Greek word, it does not have a Greek origin. In fact, the origin for the word Zoe is trying to figure out how to translate a name into Greek. Do you know what the name is? Eve. So Alexandrian Jews were trying to figure out what, how do you say life? Life. Eve means what? The mother of what? All living things. And they're trying to figure out not just life in a biological sense, but life itself. Zoe means something different. And it comes, even though it's Greek, it's a, actually it's a Hebrew concept, pure and simple. And so it doesn't mean biological life. It doesn't mean emotional life. It means the uncreated, eternal life, life itself that comes from God and is imparted to humanity. It doesn't come from us. Where does life come from? Where does, where does, where does this notion of Eve and life come from? God breathed into us. He breathed life into us. The life that we have is a different kind of life. It is a life given to us from God. And because of that breath, all humans, listen to me. Some people might miss this, not in this audience. Because of that breath, every human being who's ever lived will exist for eternity. When God breathed life, he breathed eternity into us. The question is not whether you will be existing eternally. The question is where? In what relationship will you be with God? Will you be with him or will you be separated from him? The question is not whether you will be. When God gives life, he gives life. He gives Zoe. And we all have Zoe in terms of existence, but not in terms of perhaps the way we would want to define life. More than that, when life is given, there comes with it light. Now, light is the symbol of knowledge and understanding. And because of life in him, 
we have light in him. And, and there's no possibility of understanding the world, the universe that we live without eternal life from the Son of God. In other words, the life of Jesus is, in fact, light. No Jesus, no light. It's not there. The very light that we walk by is through Jesus Christ. Because we are living in a world of darkness. When I was doing this this part of the uh, the message, you know, I... And I didn't look this morning. I, 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 I didn't want to. But, I'm, you know, usually every day I check the, the news. And when I was doing this part of the message, I, I opened up and just, oh, you know, let me, see, let me see what's going on. The first headline, a Ph.D. criminology student, of all people, was arrested for killing those four uh, co-eds in Idaho. Second headline, sexual assault. Third headline, measles. Measles is back. 40% of these kids who are getting measles are being hospitalized. I mean, this is the world that we live in. I could have checked this morning, and it would have said the same thing. Somebody killed somebody. Somebody assaulted somebody. Some disaster is coming upon us. Right? And I didn't look this morning, but I bet if you did, I'm right. (laughs) All we have to do is think of Liz's sister, or Teddy, or any one of us who has suffered loss. And we see that the world is full of darkness. We see it, we read it. But John says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines. Two statements there, the light shining in the darkness. We're going to become really accustomed to this because John loves this contrast between uh, light and, and dark. And uh, in verse 5, he says the light shines there. That's obviously Christ, but there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more because as we move from this deeply, almost impenetrable uh, theology, we come to a place where we see that Matthew tells us that you are the light of the world, that the light of Jesus Christ, the very light, the very light of God has come and dwells in your heart. And Matthew tells us, don't put it under a a bushel. Don't hide it. Let your light shine. And, and by so doing, they may see your good works and pat you on the back and tell you how good you are. That's the way a lot of people act, but that's not what it says. It says, let your light shine before men so that they might do what? They might glorify the Father. That's the point. All this is about giving glory to God. On the ring that I wear is embossed the letters S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. And that's what the entire universe was designed to do, but it did not through the fall. And yet John is telling us this most fantastic thing that through the Messiah, Jesus, very God, 
that we come to divine light and understanding in Scripture, that we can put all the pieces together, that the one he is talking about is this baby in Bethlehem, baby in Bethlehem who somehow is God himself become man, the creator become part of his creation, the originator of life and wisdom, somehow learning as a little child with Mary and Joseph, the one who is at the center of our faith. Every human being, sooner or later, must deal with the babe in Bethlehem. He is the ultimate crisis in every one of our lives. If you know him, let your life shine so that the people might see the life of Jesus and the light of Jesus shining through you. Tell people about who he is and what he has done for you. And may this new year be a time for each one of us to shine our light. Fabio Chavez was determined to make a difference in the lives of the children of the dump. And yet the differences that he made, which, although significant, cannot be compared to the determination, the compassion, and the sacrifice of the one who was with God from the beginning. Eternity past, which we cannot understand, the one who made all things, one who came to earth in the flesh and whose life and light are so bright that even through our fallen lives, other people can see it. May today be the day, if you do not know him, that you trust him in his work for you, for salvation. Father, we are... Uh, I. We read earlier today in part of that passage where Jesus was just dumbstruck that Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Lord, I feel a little bit like Nicodemus right now. And only through your spirit can we have a sense of what this means. But one thing that come through, comes through crystal clear, and that is your love for us and the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf. And we thank you. We praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.